This week on Backyard Footy. Um, I think part of it has to do with resources being put into underserved areas um, for certain. And then another part of it is people who have access to those resources just being a point of mentorship for the people of the community. Because it's one thing to kind of say, hey, we're going to put these resources here and then kind of let you figure it out. But it's another thing, hey, we're going to put these resources here and we're going to try to show you how to use them. What's up, footy fans? It's great to be back for part two. I have another special guest here with me. I have Duke LaCroix from Sacramento Republic. It was an honor to have my guy. He was a former teammate of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina with the Charlotte Independence. We built a great relationship, and now I have him joining me for a special topic. As I mentioned before, I'm doing a special edition where, a special series, sorry, where I'm educating you on specific topics that we need to address in our black community. So with me and Duke, we talked the importance of the youth community, lack of footy access in black communities, how we can fix that. And we also share our experiences in that with our USO clubs and, you know, just personally growing up being a black American in the sport. Hope you guys enjoyed part one with Ray. Very informative, a proactive guy and a pioneer that's leading on the major leagues and on the global scale. Something that an icon that we can all look into. And that's the same thing with my guy Duke. Doing it, might not be in the major leagues, but doing the same thing in the USL. And it's an aspiration to all of us. So tune in, follow my guy on all socials, subscribe on all links, rate, comment, let me know what you think. And I appreciate you guys supporting as always. Tune in. So what's up, footy fans? It's an honor to have you guys back here for the second part of our series as well. Got a special guest here, my guy out here in the West Coast with me, a former teammate of mine with the Independence, Duke LaCroix. Duke, it's an honor to have you, my guy. Pleasure to be here, man. Happy to be on. How are you enjoying the West Coast? Oh, loving it. Loving it. Can't beat this weather. It's February and it's like 70 plus, so. <laughs> I see exactly why you're enjoying it now, man. Yeah. Training in preseason and short season is crazy, bro. Yeah, it's different. It's different. How uh, How's preseason everything been? Um, preseason is going well. We have a pretty new group here in Sacramento, uh, but but we're excited. We have experienced guys, and we're ex- mostly excited. I'm personally mostly excited to be playing in an open schedule. You know, the last couple seasons right, with right, COVID, right. Um, we've kind of been getting familiar with playing the same teams over and over, you know, shortening the bus trips, preventing us from, you know, actually taking flights places. But, you know, this season we're finally going to open up and then play some different competition throughout the year. So that's going to be exciting for this group to kind of, get a, a diversified schedule you know because last season and the season Bro. before by the end of the season you felt like you guys were teammates with the other teams <laughs> for real yeah it's almost gonna be like i feel like like only playing teams twice now i'm like oh man that's almost like not enough i feel like i want to yeah. go there again kind of thing just because these last two seasons you're playing everybody <laughs> four times you know yeah exactly that. how's uh your role kind of changed within the organization these last couple years um yeah, so, you know, get, getting older in the years, uh, it's, it's been a minute since I've been a professional athlete, um, since my rookie season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm growing a little bit more into a leadership role, which is, you know, exciting and new and, and kind of finding my voice um, within the team, within myself on and off the field. So that's been an exciting thing to kind of explore, um, especially this year. Um, second year returning with the team, I haven't spent right. too much time. Um, you know, the league kind of, you move around a little bit, but, um, you know, I haven't spent too much time back to back with the organization. So I'm excited to be spending my second year here in Sacramento. And that's the, do you feel like because of the times a little bit changing? I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, from the outside perspective, you've been a little bit more vocal, giving you more freedom to you, to voice your opinions and voice yourself too. Do you feel like that's kind of transgressed as, as the times, you know, kind of progress over the years? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it has a little bit to do with, with getting older and, and being more experienced as someone with, you know, a lot of games and minutes under their belt. 
um, and, and also getting more comfortable with that. Um, but I also, I also do think to your point, like players are, are getting more of a platform. Um, you know, that, that's been seen with the formation of the BPA, been seen with the formation of the, the USL um, players group that, you know, had the historic CBA agreement. Um, so players have more of a voice just in general. Just our voices are more willing to be heard because we have the platform, we have the power, we have kind of the backing from the fans as well at times to, to make our voices heard and our opinions felt. Right, exactly. And it's kind of what we've been kind of educating our players on, using their platform a little more. And yeah, you're seeing kind of the benefits of it as well, too. So, yeah, and Dope Back Scarf, too, my guy. Dope Back Scarf, yeah. if you guys haven't checked that out on USL site, definitely check that out. It's the creator right here and everything, too. But <laughs> appreciate that. That was dope. Yeah. So, yeah. It's your first time on the show. It's an honor to have mm-hmm. you, my guy. Briefly tell us your story, where you're from, from youth, and how you got here today. Yeah. So, um, Duke Waqua, by way of New Jersey, um, born and raised on the East Coast. Um, Went to school at the Lawrenceville School in Princeton, um, spent four years there boarding, then graduated, went to the University of Pennsylvania, spent four years there um, out in Philadelphia. And then following my collegiate career, I went straight to Indiana. I did some trials while I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fortunately, Indiana with the NASL, now in the USL Championship, gave me my first opportunity as a pro. Um, and then from there, I went to Orange County. From Orange County, I went to Reno for two seasons. From Reno, went to Charlotte, and then from Charlotte here in Sacramento. So, you know, been been a little bit back and forth, spent most of my time on the West Coast. Um, and both my parents are from Haiti, born and raised. So Caribbean Islander, my blood. I see that. I was yeah. gonna ask you, what's kind of you know, I'm I'm experiencing this for my first time this year coming to the West Coast mm-hmm. first for me. What do you think is kind of like the difference between the East and the West? Um I would say the East Coast is a little bit, I don't know if grittier is the right word, maybe maybe blue collar is the right word. I think it has to do with the cold, you know, there's kind of like a workman's like attitude on, on the East Coast, you know, it's, it's a bit more physical. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that has to do a lot of with the fields, a lot of with the environment, with the weather. There's a lot more, you know, turf fields on the East Coast in general, but that's changing with the, the way the league's developing a lot of nice facilities now. Right. Um, but I think the West Coast is a little bit more, you know, they want to play, um, keep the keep the field open, possessive style of football, um, a little bit less taxing on the body with, with the schedule. But but there is altitude out here. That was something that I first had to get yeah. used to on the on the West Coast, you know, especially living in Reno or traveling to Colorado Springs or Salt Lake. Um, they're no longer in the league anymore. But, you know, there, there's some altitude out here. El Paso and New Mexico have some altitude like Colorado. <laughs> that, too, right? that was one of the things that I really had to get used to on the East Coast. Everything's flat. <laughs> Wow, I didn't even think about yeah. that myself too. Because man, we go to Colorado like second game, and then El Paso like Colorado's gonna hit. <laughs> yeah, advice um, <laughs> yeah. early. Yeah, oh my God, great journey. I'm glad we had time together here in Charlotte. But you know, we're here together. Definitely to dive into our topic. Um, you know, our topic mm-hmm. for discussion today is the lack of footy access in the Black communities and how we can fix mm-hmm. that. You know, sharing our experience on that too. We mean. You both have kind of been a little tenured in this league as well, too. So definitely want to touch on that topic because I think it's, you know, not just people need to hear this, but, you know, ownership and just clubs in general kind of how we can, you know, have more of an outreach within our community. So I just want to start off with why, why do you think there is like a lack of footy access within our communities, the black community specifically? Um, I think part of it has to do with resources being put into underserved areas um, for certain and then another part of it is people who have access to those resources just being 
a point of mentorship for the people of the community. Because it's one thing to kind of say, hey, we're going to put these resources here and then kind of let you figure it out. But it's another thing, hey, we're going to put these resources here and we're going to try to show you how to use them, you know? So I think, you know, especially speaking recently, um, there's a project that Sacramento did, and I know a lot of other clubs and organizations are starting to do. I think futsal courts in underserved areas is a great investment. Um, But not only that is you have to have programs with it. So the futsal court itself, it's sturdy. It lasts. I know for my own youth development, finding a field that was like playable was really difficult. And when you get to the field, it's like a full 11 v 11 field. It's like, okay, like, what do I do with all this space? Like there's a goal. I need to call my boys to get a goalie. Like if we really want to use it, we have to get at least five to 12 players on this pitch just to even if we make it half field or something like that. So it's difficult to find a convenient space um, to have access to the game. But I think these futsal courses, you can really get, you know, one V one in there and you can actually do something, you know, comparable to to playing. So I I really like the idea of getting these um, futsal courses as one example of resources that that needs to be in these communities. Um, And speaking of that, Sorry. Um, yeah, I was involved. I was only involved with the um, kind of the opening of it, like okay. when they actually unveiled and finished the project here in Sacramento. But they got started on it prior to my coming here, so it was really cool to have kind of even through COVID they continued with this pro- project. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that commitment from the club and from the local community and the local ordinances that that got involved. But I, I know U.S. Soccer Foundation does a lot of work with putting up these futsal courses, um, courts. Um, and then communities, underserved communities. So I, th- I think it's great. It's, you know, it's sturdy, it's durable. You know, the nets are, are made of metal. The field is concrete. All you need is a futsal ball and, you know, yourself <laughs> at the end of the day um, to kind of make it happen. But that's one aspect. And the other biggest aspect is committing to programs on the court. So it's one thing to have the space. It's another thing to say, we have this organized structure to say, hey, you can show up here and we will also be here. Right. Um, I think that having that commitment is great. And I forget the name of the program that was in Charlotte. I don't know if you remember, Hugh, um, where they put the, the futsal court in the community. It was like a pop-up court in the parking lot. Yeah, um, yep, yep, yep. I forgot. I forgot. I, I forgot the name of the organization. It wasn't Hill Charlotte, was it? It could have been Hill Charlotte. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it might have been yeah. Hill actually. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But I remember I went out once or twice today, and, and that was like my first experience. And I was like, wow, this is freaking awesome. Like every single Thursday or so. They got in. There's at least you know 100 plus kids trying to get on this court for like a round robin style game, and that was you know something I've never seen before. And more clubs need to be need to do that in general. I feel like yeah, maybe the times have changed where they're getting more involved in the community. But I'll be honest, in my career, I really don't. You, we would have camps and stuff where kids would come to our fields and times and have a mm-hmm. day or something, but not necessarily us getting too involved within the community unless it was mm-hmm. specific like soccer camps or something. Yeah. How about you and your career? Have you, has any other clubs besides SAC now that you're telling us earlier, but any other clubs been, you know, this involved within the community? Um, in, in different ways, but a lot of times is like you mentioned where it's, you know, you come to us for like a day or for a week or for this one-time clinic or this clinic that's happening monthly. And then that's it. Like we're kind of done with it. Where, whereas these initiatives and these programs are, you know, either the club goes to the community for example, if it is Heal One Trial, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not the correct organization. Um, but where you show up in the community and you show up time after time after time. And I think that that's, you know, kind of, it's not necessarily what you do, but it's like how often in the frequency that you do it with. Right. Um, it's, just, it's just the idea of knowing that, that these incentives aren't going anywhere because it's one thing to hold a one-time camp where they come in and say, oh, that was fun for a day. Right. But then it's like, okay, you have 365 days in the year. 
how else can we have these sort of lasting impacts? And the more often that they happen, the better it is. And a permanent structure like a football futsal court is, is a, a reminder every single day, like this is something here for the community. It, it can't leave. Irregardless of what happens in the future, that thing is there. And it makes these lasting impacts on these kids for like generations too. I kind of mm-hmm. realized here, here in Charlotte, being a black athlete, going out to certain um, soccer foundations where there's like minority kids and black kids playing soccer, they would see me in person and be like, oh man, like you play soccer and then, you know, yeah. with the ball or whatever and they see us doing stuff and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like soccer is kind of cool. But I feel yeah. like, you know, I wanted to touch on this right now too. I feel like clubs in general don't do m- too much marketing and advertisement as well in the black communities. Maybe it's partially because of the pay to play system where it's an expensive sport. They know most yeah. of the times we can't afford that sport. So, you know, they're gonna go where the dollars are going. But I feel like partially in fact, because there's no advertisement marketing where, okay, there's a, a so-and-so camp going on, select camp, come to this trial, or there's mm-hmm. a free camp going on at this park, like come through and train your kid, there's nothing. So most of the times, you know, our community doesn't even know, I feel what to do or where to go just to get involved within soccer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's different than sometimes the European model or the South American model where, you know, I guess the example would be the Brazilian teams and Brazilian players where they have football courts and that's kind of where they start in these underdeveloped areas and then they can go to a bigger field afterwards and you know having access to these facilities i know growing up myself it was difficult to find a field like just just a playable field to be like hey this is where i want to train or this is where i want to play i had to go you know hours or have my parents have to drive me away to somewhere mm-hmm. to figure out where i wanted to play whereas in other sports whether it's you know football we kind of just need a ball on the street or basketball where there's a court you know on every corner even tennis you know, you can find access to these facilities for these other sports pretty easily. Right. Um, but it's kind of difficult as soccer players. An example, you know, the first time this really hit home for me as a, you know, rationalizing, well thought out, growing, maturing person was when I went to school in Philly and you have kind of like the main line, which is the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, where you have these nice manicured grasses. Everyone has houses, they're spaced out um, and you, there's, there's fields and schools and you know, access to sport everywhere. You still have to pay to play, but then you go into like where Penn is located in West Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, Penn has a really nice field, but until Penn Park was built with the turf facilities, there was nowhere to play really in the city. Like it was, it was barren. Like there, like if I didn't go to school there and I lived in Philly, like I wouldn't even know where to look to find a field. Um, so fortunately they built Penn Park right on Penn's campus, which have access to um, public facilities and leagues and stuff. But but still, it's difficult to be in um, an underserved community or in a city or in an urban area and, and try to find access to the game. That's exactly what I'm talking about, too, right there. And that you, I'm, it's funny you brought up Philly because I lived in, I played for the Bethlehem Steel for one year. Yeah. I was out in Philly for a year. I was in uh, Fairmount Park, not too far from the west side. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw, the, I saw you know, a lot of the similar disparities, too. And it kind of gave me even the vision to do like backyard footy and stuff, too. Do you feel like. Coaches need a circle, more specifically, like let's say us former players who turn into you know, black coaches. Do we need to circle back into our communities and have free camps, not free camps, but cheap camps, um, you know, cheaper clinics where we're actually educating and showing our youth within our communities what, what the game's really like? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think more, more than just these clinics and camps is just being visible in those communities because, you know, a lot of times the, the adage is when you get out, you know, either whether it's the hood or your situation, it's like, you don't really want to go back or, you know, you go back and you kind of go back at arm's length 
Um, and, and there's nothing really wrong with that. The idea is you want to be better for yourself, but you also want to be better for, leave a better path for the people behind you as well. Right. And so to your point, I think it's more just getting visible, you know, where, where these players can see like, hey, like he goes to a camp and they see, oh, he's actually nice with, with soccer. This, is this something I can pursue? Because these kids see these basketball players, these football players, like, like you talk to a kid at a camp, you know, black kid, and he's like, yo, like, I want to play basketball. He picks up the soccer ball and wants to dribble and, and shoot it in the hoop or something. Right. It's like, no, like, let's use our feet because he hasn't seen people who are black use their feet. He's seen, you know, LeBron. He's seen, um, you know, Embiid. He's seen, you know, these athletes on a regular basis, but he doesn't, it, it doesn't really register like, oh, this is a sport you can actually play and actually pursue and actually do well in. And, and not to say, like, you have to make a career of it, but just, like, just a, a different avenue, just something different. That, that these kids can have access to that can, you know, help make their situation better. Do you feel like media, like TV, plays a crucial part in this as well, too? Because, like you're saying, kids can't be what they can't see. I say that kind of all the time as well, when they're always seeing mm -hmm. basketball, football, even baseball, mm -hmm. all kind of sports on TV, but you never really see, specifically domestically, we see European soccer sometimes, ESPN Plus, mm -hmm. all these highlights and stuff, but domestic yeah. and MLS soccer, do you feel like that needs to be highlighted a lot more you have more conversations and you're showing highlights more on tv for in order for these kids to you know see this a little bit more yeah 100 percent. i mean in, in a broader conversation about american soccer in general is you know dollars are in everything until they had you know that little ad square where right. like in the middle of the game going on there's like that little corner you see like the modelo ad or like <laughs> behind it like whatever ad it is that they pop up in the corner while the game is going on um, just to generate more dollars. But I think that, I mean, money, money reigns supreme. Like it, it rules everything. So if there could be more money revenue in soccer, then it would be put in front of more people just by the nature of that. And I think that that's vitally important towards these kids have seeing and having access to, you know, professionals like ourselves. Kind of why I started back here at 42. I was literally just sitting on my couch watching ESPN and seeing these guys mm -hmm. talking about soccer at all. And they're like the experts yeah. and stuff too, you know, and, I'm, it's kind of the same vision and thought process with me here too. We need to get this a soccer specific show, even if it's 30 minutes, dissecting mm -hmm. it, talking about it more and getting these kids involved. How many, how many black coaches have you seen growing up or did you have as your own coach? Um, yeah. And this is funny because when you, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of the team heroes? And, uh, yeah. So it's funny because my team, I never really thought twice about it. Um, but the, there's only one person who I can think of. I think his name is Rob or Ron Johnson with our club. You know, only black guy in our club that I can think of in, you know, either a coach or any sort of position um, other than player. Like there's like two or three black guys in the entire club. There's one other black player on my team growing up. Never had another black player on my team growing up. Um, and so that, was, that wasn't something that you saw regularly. But the team heroes, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure their background or how they started, but it's primarily a black team, you know, African-American Caribbean Islanders. 99% um, of the team was black. 99% of the coaching staff were black. And it was very bizarre because it was like a, a thing of attention when they came to a tournament, it was like, Oh, this team heroes is coming. And it's like, well, like at the time I was a young kid, you know, 13, 14, 15. And that didn't really like, I was like, okay, like it's just a team. Then you see them. And it's like, it looks different. And you're like, something's off here. And when you're that young, you don't really put it together. But it's like the team of the black kids and the black coaches. Right. And it's like, that's what they are. And that's why they were the talk of conversation. And that's why, you know, people, there's a, a buzz about it when they came to tournaments.
realistically, then as I became more aware, I look at my team like, well, that's the composition of my team. I'm the one on the outside looking in on my team. But why is like this team looks really familiar to me? <laughs> like this, wow. this is wow. like, like why, like why yeah, is this, right. why is this the anomaly? And why is this the talk of every tournament? And they haven't even played a game yet. Like it's just because they showed up mm-hmm. and it happened to be, you know, 99% black. And it's like, why is that the issue? Like, and, and it was the same thing when we, when we went to California, there was some Hispanic teams being on the East coast. That wasn't very, that wasn't a very common thing. And we played some tournaments in some places where the team was primarily Hispanic. And it was like, wow, this is like a com- like a topic, topic of conversation. It's like, no, they're just like players who play the game, like around the world, around the globe. This is how it should be. Like you should be able to interact. And it was, it was weird to, I didn't quite have the perspective at that age to understand what was going on. But it's weird to look back and be like, why was that? Why was there buzz around this team? Or why was there talk around this team? Like, well, because they were the black team coming right. to play. And it was like, it was noticeable. It was like, what, like not what are they doing here? It's like, oh, this is different right. kind of feel. And it, it just kind of sunk in for me where I was like, that's how I feel every single day on this team. Like the team I'm currently on, there's only one other black kid. And I look around, there's no black coaches. There's, there's nothing. Like, and it's like, been like that most nah, of the nah, years too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, literally yeah. like, I've, I've only had one black coach and that was my middle school coach who gave me my first opportunity from rec ball to select. And I really? had one since and it kind of like propelled me to here today. But every mm-hmm. coach until last year when I got Brian Hainsey to come on the independent staff has been a white head coach and a white staff member too. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's it a very interesting story that you brought up too about heroes as well. So it got me thinking like, maybe, you know, I feel like the core of the game here specifically because of maybe the pay to play system, because, you know, the only the rich were able to afford to play soccer, mm-hmm. i.e. mostly the white majority. And maybe the root, especially in America, the root of it all was, a, the origin of it was maybe like a white, richer sport. And now mm-hmm. as it came through, we've realized, you know, it's actually international world known as minorities in all different kinds of forms playing mm-hmm. this game. It's changed its perspective because I've dealt with multiple situations. I'll give a story too. I was in like about seventh grade, eighth grade, and I'm playing for this black coach now, just made the yeah. leap from rec to select. But I'm I'm six four now, but back then I was like five ten in seventh grade, mm-hmm. five, eleven as a striker too. So yeah. I was like plowing through these kids, scoring <laughs> And I'll never forget in the middle of the game, my, my parents are like like arguing and fighting. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And I'm, I'm playing the game. And I look mm-hmm. over. And parents are arguing with my parents because they don't believe that I'm the right age. I was actually younger than most of the kids out there because I have a late birthday in September. Yeah. So I was well above my age to be there. I was actually younger mm-hmm. than most of these kids, but because I was so tall, so fast and dominating, parents are like, there's no way. America, <laughs> there's no way he's, thir- he's uh, 12 years old. There's just no way. I want to see his birth certificate. Like straight up arguing with my parents in the middle of this game, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't really put it together like you said as a kid either, but there's certain memories that resonate with you for almost like the rest of your life. And that's like a memory that just resonates mm-hmm. in my mind. And it got me thinking, man, like these, a lot of a lot of the times these, I don't know what the notion is, what the standard is in this game before, mm-hmm. but it's like when we come through and we give a different perspective and shine, shine a different light, it's like, oh man, who are these guys kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So for, for parents who, let's say, have, has a, a kid that's trying to get involved into the game, what do you think is mm-hmm. the best route? You know, there's so many different angles, so many different opportunities out there, MLS Next, all these different things. But let's say you're coming from the inner, inner cities, whatever, mm-hmm. trying to get involved in the game, what do you think is the best route? Um, I, think, I think trying to get involved in the academies early. 
um, as early as possible. Because now there's there's academies where you don't have to pay. There's some scholarships. There's access to equitable economic opportunities for parents who don't quite have the finances to, to pay for an entire year. But with that being said, you have to be a quality player to get in. They don't just let everybody in. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's about playing. Like the more touches you can get on the ball, the more times you can get in front of the goal and the high, whatever highest league possible um, is the best thing to do. And I, and I think that there, there's a lot of leagues out there, but, you know, just trying to get closer to being able to play at the highest level. Like, like there's leagues, but there aren't really, you know, competitive leagues. And that's not necessarily everyone's game. You know, people just want to play for the love of the game. Right. Um, but, you know, I think getting in with the academies as soon as possible would, would be best because that can elevate your game, this quality competition. And you have access to to more, you know, professional environment. Whereas in the, some of these other areas, uh, the facilities or you know the environment isn't quite as good. So, if that's possible, then then I think that that could be the best course forward. Yeah, hopefully there's some camps and stuff evolved within their communities. They can start you know going to more camps and mm-hmm. more of an outreach too. What's um your yeah. goals and some visions to affect the community? It, it could be during your career, after your career, what whatever. Yeah, I think um at the moment something that I definitely want to do is just be a presence. Um, I know, I know last year I visited some schools in the Northern suburbs of Sacramento and um, my hope is to go back again this year um, with some of the summer programs out there and and kind of be a face and a presence. A lot of the kids weren't there necessarily for soccer, but just to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm someone who plays, I'm someone who's in the community and I'm someone who is just encouraging you to be the best you you can be. It doesn't have to be soccer. It could be whatever that is. Um, But you know, my, my method is and my Avenue is soccer. Um, I think that that is, you know, what I want to do immediately. Um, in the future, I am hoping to be a sports psychiatrist or a psychologist and helping, you know, people perform at their best in that same vein, but more in professional level. So um, I, I really enjoyed in Orange County. I had some phone calls with some kids who were asking and inspiring to be like, how do I go to college or how do I play professionally with Walkway Academy? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just talking to the kids and just being like, Hey, like when I was in your shoes, there's a lot I didn't know, right. um, that I wish I knew. And how can I be the best form of myself? Cause as you know, professionally, like it's not necessarily your qualities. It's, it's all up here. Like hundred percent. Oh man. Yeah, like it's, it's tough to articulate that to, to a young kid right. who has the world in front of them. Right. But I've, I've seen players who should have been playing in the prem and their careers, you know, after two seasons because they didn't have it up up top. So, you know, I've been, I've been blessed to stay healthy, to stay fit and to stay focused. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your quality has to come through, but if you aren't there mentally, you can't do anything, any, anywhere. Anywhere. And and I think, and I think, you know, with, with the program in the summer, like a lot of it, it revolves around soccer because that's what I do, like I said, but I just want, you know, people to be the best forms of themselves. Mm -hmm. And if I can encourage and, and help promote that, um, you know, that, that's my goal, especially with the BPA and helping, you know, people that look like me right. um, be, right. be the best one of themselves, I think would be, would be awesome, man. Love hopefully that. I can, Love hopefully it. I can continue to do that. Yeah. Because that mental aspect, man, that's literally why I'm here today too. You know, there's just the grind of it. It's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been on multiple clubs. I've been on multiple clubs, but to renew contracts, to continue to continuously yeah. perform every day, even when you slip up mentally for a day, you could be in shambles. Mm-hmm days bro so i don't even want to dive too much in depth with that but yeah that's a whole another section we can dive whole another topic yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to hear that you want to do that for a, a protein sometime or you want to have your own clinic um i haven't i haven't quite fleshed that out yet i think 
I think working with the team and being in a team environment, because that's what I know um, yeah. would be ideal. Like that's the most fulfilling for me to kind of, you know, work with a group and to grow with a group. Um, but I, I think in whatever form it, it takes its shape would be exciting to me. Do you have any advice people out here listening in terms of, you know, it could be t- directed towards clubs, how do they get in better mm-hmm. tune with their players? Because me, me and you both mm-hmm. are heavy involved within clubs. It could be for, you know, just for players, Black players in general, to get, you know, mm-hmm. more active within their platforms. Any advice? Well, I think um, my advice for, I guess, anyone trying to make a difference um, would be the the little things matter. Like, like, I think, you know, the 1% improvements, even though they might seem insignificant, add up to something bigger and you know you can't disregard those those micro improvements at you know the expense of saying it's not quite reaching a bigger goal so whether it's you know being a player and showing up to a team appearance and saying oh well I'd rather you know kind of sleep and watch tv or something like that like maybe you showing up that team appearance is that one percent and then you don't have to do it every time but you know in the the moments when you find the energy to make the one percent difference um I, I think it's important important that you you aim to do so and you know change comes inevitably as a result completely agree my bro or hey words of wisdom my bro it's an honor <laughs> to have you my guy this is a great conversation i wanted to do something different here and kind of educate people and not just have mm-hmm. like you know our standard conversations with podcasts and journeys and stuff but definitely we're gonna have another mm-hmm. episode and chop a little bit further into the mental aspect but it's been yeah. an honor, my guy and i look forward to seeing you in preseason and the regular season and just chopping it up in general Yep. Appreciate you having me here. Where can they follow you on socials before we head out? Um, M Duke Lacroix on Twitter. Um, Duke Lacroix on Insta. And then I'm going to plug my, my art page since I had the, the recent scarf design project mache. So if you want to give those a, a follow, that'd be cool. Sure. Yeah. Appreciate you, my guy. Thank you for the fans for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. Backyard Footies brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network podcast. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the bgn.fm.